Hello, I'm Dan Rowden and this is episode 3 of Mag Heroes, a new audio show all about magazines and the people who make them. You can listen to previous episodes at magheroes.net or subscribe in iTunes or any good podcast application. My guest today is Philip Diprose, editor of The Ride Journal, a beautiful and wonderfully thick magazine full with illustrations and stories about bikes and riding. Hello Philip, how are you? I'm very good, thanks. Very good. And yourself? I'm, I'm fine, yeah. Just a bit, a bit fluey, maybe. Um, well, I'm fighting that at the moment, yeah. so hope, hopefully we'll get through. <laughs> um, so, uh, I'm kind of relatively new to the Ride Journal. I've seen it online, obviously, for a number of years, but I only just found a copy in um, a shop in Helsinki, actually, in October, I think. Um, I was kind of desperate to get it, but it's kind of expensive to ship all the way out here, which is a big issue I have <laughs> with magazines. But yeah, I'm just kind of taken aback by it, to be honest. Um, can you just kind of introduce the magazine and like the idea behind it and where it came from? Yeah, no problem. It was what we what we ended up with is slightly different to what we probably thought we were going to have to start with. The original idea was just to, uh, well, the original idea came about with a few friends and I on a cycling trip. We'd been out cycling all day, got back, and it was the usual thing. We were in a wood cabin in the middle of nowhere and having a few beers and chatting about uh, things that we loved, obviously cycling and magazines as well. And we were kind of discussing the fact that we didn't think that there was a magazine that looked and read how we wanted it to. There were bits in certain magazines that we loved and there were other magazines that sort of had the same ethos that we kind of wanted to do but weren't about cycling and we just thought would it be possible to put something together that kind of reflected more of a soulful nature of cycling because we'd been we'd been cyclists for many years by now not terribly good cyclists but cyclists for many years and so we'd kind of grown a bit tired of reading every year this is the lightest fastest bike that you should buy this year yeah, yeah. this is the nutrition tips that you should have to make you storm up Mont Ventoux uh, and this is what will help you in this is the route guide to take you to whichever place so we kind of we kind of knew what we were doing with the cycling but what interested us more was sort of the cyclists themselves and the stories that they had to tell and so it became more about Initially, or from my point of view, it came, became more about their stories, having sort of soulful, personal tales, and that, that sometimes might not even have to be just about cycling, but were kind of based around the framework of cycling. And so we sort of started discussing this and, and whether or not it was a viable option, and everyone kind of sort of threw in their, their thoughts about it. And then when it came to putting it, to, putting it into action... Uh, it's sort of the, the job roles sort of uh, settled into into being what they are now. And Andrew, my brother, who's the art director, was very vocal about the fact that he wanted to do that. And knowing that that's kind of his forte, that wasn't really opposed. And then I sort of stepped in to do the editor part of things because it seemed like someone would need to do it. And that's kind of my personality type to... I don't know, not I don't either depending on how you look at it, either bulldoze my way through things or show a bit of enthusiasm and step to the plate. So we kind of that was the that was the idea for it. And then we just started seeing if other people would be interested in what we were doing as well. So we got in touch with uh writers that we knew, 
uh, a few companies that we knew that might be willing to advertise with us and invest money in what we were doing. And then it just sort of started snowballing from there. And what originally was going to be a, I think our original uh, page count was going to be 76 pages for the first issue. And then we realized that we were getting a load more stuff and it seemed a waste not to put it in. So we doubled the page amount and the first issue that came out was 146 pages. And we thought that was it. And we proved our point that it could be done. And unfortunately, at the launch of it, someone came up and said, oh, this is brilliant. I can't wait to see the second issue. Mm -hmm. And then the penny dropped. <laughs> yeah, so um, I was going to ask, was the uh, first issue this thick? But I guess <laughs> from what you said, it was. It's quite um, yeah, a chunky beast. Yeah, um, it's... It, it's always it's it's crept up in size rather than rather than going down. And as you mentioned earlier about getting it shipped over, the main problem that we have is just how expensive postage is yeah. to send it across. It's we charge sort of eight pounds as a cover price, which I think sort of in line with in line with with being a, a decent rate for for what's being offered. But if you're having to send it to somewhere like Australia or yeah. India or China. It's yeah, we do get kind of kind of uh, screwed a bit by how expensive things are to post. Yeah. Um, so, do you have a, like a network of distributors that help with that fact, or do you just manage uh, it yourselves? Yeah, we have got a we've got a distribution company that we use okay. that we we bought on sort of fairly quickly because with the with the first issue, we just going back a little bit uh, with the first issue, we didn't know how much interest there was going to be. So we only printed a thousand copies. Okay. And those and those were all numbered by hand. Oh, Most of them uh we kind of split it between <laughs> us. And, and on the on the uh cab ride to the first launch party, if you've got a if you're lucky enough to have one of the very early numbers that were bought from the launch party, the writing on it is absolutely atrocious because <laughs> we were sitting in the back of a taxi, hurtling across London, trying to get to the launch in time, trying to write the numbers on the back of however many we thought we were going to sell. So we did a thousand of the first one and kind of did a soft launch because we'd only got enough money for sort of, we'd got enough advertisers to just about break even from doing it. So we weren't going to make a big loss for if, if it didn't work out. Okay. But then the interest kind of went from there and then I very soon realised that even with that thousand issues, posting them out myself was mm. utterly, utterly terrible. It was having to go into the post office before work to buy a couple of hundred quid's worth of stamps, <laughs> coming coming home and filling envelopes and filling out addresses by hand, and then looking for post boxes that would have a big enough slot to be able to post them in. <laughs> Yeah, that 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 very quickly, very quickly lost its allure. So we so we found a well, actually, I found a, a distribution company because it was me that was yeah. having to deal with that hardship. Um, yeah, so we, we we do have a distributor okay. and we have shops around the world, but we don't have specific countrywide distribution going on. Okay. Um. Yeah, your uh, website's quite swanky. I enjoy flicking through your stockist list on your website. I think that's yeah. one of the best stockists list i've ever seen actually and and we are we are so the the uh thing that we're probably the least good at is promoting ourselves the actual sort of i'd like to think that the the magazine itself stands up for stands up for itself largely due to how good my brother makes it look but i think the the content and everything 
that other people I can I I'd like to think it's not immodest to say that it's quite good because all <laughs> I've done is send out a load of emails. The writers, the illustrators, the photographers, and then finally my brother doing some design on it are the people who have made it good. So it's it's nothing really to do with me how good the magazine is. But <laughs> But thankfully, lots of people have managed to find it through the internet yeah. and through shops. And so we've, we've been very lucky with, with having shops like when you get an email from the V&A Museum or from Foils and Stanford right. Map Shop. As a, as a massive map fan, having Stanford <laughs> things like that mean a lot to me. <laughs> and when you do this all in, in your uh, uh, downtime, it's not a full-time job. Um, no. Do you find that balance like rewarding or is it tough or is it like uh, difficult to do both at the same time? It very much depends on which day you ask me the question. <laughs> okay. it's, it's, it's very good that, that I'm speaking about a new issue just as it's about to come out. <laughs> yeah. okay. this, this is kind of the, I've, we've, we've actually now got it back from the printers and I've held a copy in my hands and we've gone through and it looks it looks like there's nothing glaringly wrong okay. with it. That's good. And so, and so now is a, now is kind of the honeymoon period. But uh, yeah, it is. It is very tough. It is very tough fitting it in between things because usually the time at which I'm busiest at work is the time at which I'm trying to get things done with this. Mm. And so it's and other people who are doing work for us justifiably don't or may not know that I'm fitting it in with other things because right. that's that doesn't really matter for them. So if you've got a shop that are trying to get hold of copies that a courier has lost and you're still stuck at work and you're trying to do that as well as sort out the courier, it's it does get it gets tough to juggle. But yeah, thankfully uh both Andrew and I have got very short uh boredom thresholds and so if I wasn't doing this I'll be doing something else. Mm. So I might as well be doing a magazine instead. <laughs> and the uh, the bike part of it, are you quite um, a bike person? Is that like one of your main passions? Yeah, it is. I guess it, it has is. to be if you do something like this. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of one of those things where I think if it was taken out of me, I don't know. Like the easiest the easiest way that friends could have to define me would be as a cyclist, <laughs> and 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 so it's sort of like. If that bit was taken out of me, I think there'd be a, a slight pause before before people were able to describe sort of what what summed me up, I guess. Okay. Yeah, it's most of most of my friends are well a, a lot of my friends are friends through cycling, a lot of holidays. Even a beach holiday could maybe have a little bit of cycling in the morning before okay. going to the beach in the afternoon. Do you take your bikes with you on holiday holiday? Or yeah. It, well, it it depends on where I'm going. It okay. depends on where I'm going. But if there's, yeah, if there's usually, and um, usually it's worth taking a bike with me because it makes me a far more pleasant person. Okay. If I've had, a, if I've, if, if my wife will be the first to admit that if I've had the chance to get out and get maybe an hour, hour and a half ride in early in the morning, and then get on with the rest of the holiday, I'm a far more pleasant person than if I haven't. Okay. How many bikes do you have? Uh Built or unbuilt? <laughs> actual uh, bikes. Actual bikes. I think there's about seven, okay. and then a couple of frames and a lot of parts as well. Okay. 
So it, it gets a bit it gets a bit grey when you get towards the seventh one as to whether or not it's wider below. <laughs> okay. It, but at, at least at least they do different things though. There's right. one They're of the one of the other things that the the journal was sort of uh, was started to do was because a lot of the magazines pigeonhole different cyclists mm-hmm. and say if you're a mountain biker then you must hate then you must hate road cyclists right. yeah, or yeah. oh if you're a BMXer then why would you want to know about someone who's riding around the world or doing long-distance commutes or, or long-distance rides or whatever? And so we were kind of as as older, as sort of um, sort of longer cyclists that we've been riding for quite some time. We don't do just one thing. It's I originally started mountain biking, but after that realised that it was better to have a road bike to commute with. Then started doing. So decided instead of just having a single speed bike, I should get a geared road bike. Then I thought, oh, I want to have a try doing some track riding as well. So I had to get a track bike. And then, oh, it's the winter. You don't need your track bike. You might as well do some cyclocross. Okay. So at least all of, the, all of the bikes do slightly different things. Although technically, yes, it is quite a few bikes. Yeah. And the, the magazine doesn't pay for these bikes, right? You've got a special setup for your, no. your profits. Unfortunately not. No, it's, it's the... Uh, as, as tempting as it is, and as, as every now and then we joke that there would be a, a special a special charity fund for the bikes, <laughs> no, it's, it's all of the uh, all of the proceeds go to better causes than us. We're just we're just lucky that that we that Andrew and I are in a position where we've both got stable day jobs that pay us enough to be able to give something back to the sport that we love. Yeah, I, I and that's... so. And also give back to to other causes as well. We're we're in a lucky position to be able to do that. Yeah, I think that's like a huge thing. You don't necessarily notice it about the magazine when you're reading it, but it just yeah, on that that first page or whenever it says all our proceeds go to charity, it's like ah, oh, this these guys like <laughs> making a crazy magazine. Like they really like cycling, and then they don't even take anything out of it afterwards. It's like it's a really nice thing. Yeah, no, it's it's. We, we don't want to sort of, it's nice when people realise that we are, but I'd never want anyone to be looking at the magazine and saying, oh, this is a charity, like this is a right. magazine that's, that's sort of based on money being given to charity. That's, people hopefully will buy the magazine because they like it. Yeah. What, we, what we do with the money that they pay for it is our, is our choice, if that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, and and also, also being able to choose... We, we don't give it all to one charity. We sort of go between things. Okay. And yeah, and so there's if there's sometimes if there are people who have contributed to the magazine who have something that's very dear to them, then okay. we're able to say a little thank you for the hard work that they've done right. and show a little bit of appreciation. It's obviously it's a drop in the ocean compared to the amount of work that people do, that people give when they're donating work to us, be it photography or illustrations or writing for us but hopefully they'll think they may not be getting paid for it but the money is going to to help other people right yeah i mean yeah i really enjoyed finding that bit of information out it kind of made me like re rethink about what yeah what the magazine was doing um you, you mentioned these people uh working with you it's just you and your brother andrew like as full-timers or kind of yes. full part-timers. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, we're the, we're the only uh, yeah, four part-time staff. And so, which, which makes things very easy. It's, it makes it, there's, 
I can, I can argue with I can argue with my brother far more than I'd argue with anyone else. <laughs> but at the same time, the arguments are usually about nothing major. And yeah, it's it's just us producing. Well, it, I say it's just us producing it, but we're the sort of the 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 middle bit. And then out from us, we've got a couple of friends who do the website for us, okay. uh, Matt and Gideon, who do an amazing job with that. And then my wife does an amazing, amazing job with these shop sales, which is the most thankless task that anyone could have <laughs> in any part of magazines. Nobody, nobody starts a magazine puts their hands up and says, I'd like to start a magazine because I want to do shop sales. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I think it's second only to ad sales as the most thankless task to do. But she does an amazing spreadsheet and, <laughs> she, and she keeps incredibly good humour while she's trying to get money out of people. Yeah. Um, and, and the ride is quite an, like a veteran, I, I'd say maybe. It kind of appeared uh, 2008, is that right? Yes, yes. So it's kind of yeah, before we, this kind of boom we're seeing now with lots of other cycling magazines as well yeah. as uh, in other fields but um what was it like back then like what is it uh, did it have the same kind of uh i don't know like freedom kind of you yeah, kind of I, see out of the publishing industry right now i think it was we were probably at the at the start of what other people have termed sort of the golden age of or the the second golden age of independent magazines and so i think we were we were very lucky to be where we were. A lot of people think we're a lot, because we're only on our eighth issue yeah. and we can't, haven't pulled our fingers out to do one every quarter or whatever like that. <laughs> a lot of people have started magazines since us who are now a lot further down the line. Mm. And a lot of people are better at promoting themselves and getting their name out and everything. But I think we're, we're slowly... We're, we're as we're as big as we're happy to be. I think it's it's been an organic growth since we started, and each issue we've kind of slowly increased our numbers. But I think we've also sort of weathered the start of the we we launched just as the UK recession was kicking in, and I think there's been things like magazines and stuff like that have taken quite a hit with just sort of disposable luxury goods and things like right. that. Hopefully hopefully it's increasing again. And also I think people are starting to realise that what they're spending their money on should be thought about more. So buying mm. luxury things such as an expensive magazine and stuff like that aren't frivolous things to do, but you need it needs to be something that means something to you. So yeah. so hopefully we're kind of riding still riding that way but but yeah it was a, a good time to it was a good time to start and i think my when i when i was starting things i thought that the magazine was going to be far more of a diy sort of almost punk ethos right. okay. fans than it was <laughs> well, it's and definitely think, not that <laughs> yeah, and i think i think andrew i think andrew had a a very different image of yeah. that right from the start so but but very soon he sort of showed me different types of paper that we could use, different things we could do with it, and and suddenly it started sounding like a very a very exciting thing that was going to be a lot more impressive than my photocopied <laughs> staple fanzine that, that I've got that I've got in my mind. And uh, Andrew is also the art director at Wired, is that right? Yes, yes, uh, yeah, Wired UK. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think it's, and I think I think that this. 
that the Royal Journal acts as a nice foil for what he does as, a, as his day job. Because I think sort of visually, the uh, well, maybe visually both of them are very rich, but they're very rich in a different way. Yeah. It's sort of the uh, the the stripped down simplicity that that we have in the Royal Journal is kind of quite at odds with with what he does during his day job. Yeah, I've noticed which, that difference as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like which, Wired which could be like so like Wired's kind of a bit like crazy, like haphazard maybe, but it's beautiful, but there's like so much stuff in there. And then you, you, you flip over and turn to the, go to the right journal, it's like one illustration and a really beautiful page of text and then an illustration <laughs> and then yeah. one page of text. And this is like completely opposite. Yeah, it was, I think sort of when, when he was, when he was planning how it would initially look, he looked at things trying not to look within just the magazine world for what the layouts would look like. So he was looking at things like, uh, for the, the paper stock and the feel, there's a company called, a clothes company called Howie's. Yeah, yeah, love Howie. Yeah. <laughs> I have loads of their old, uh, what are they called, catalogues. Yes, like, and yeah. it was the, the, the catalogues, as, as, years, well yeah, as, the, as well as the clothing, the catalogues were, were an inspiration. Yeah. And so were things like there's a magazine called Surfer's Path, okay. which has a similar kind of, or it, it has a very soulful, for, for a surf magazine, it has a far more soulful take to it. And so you'd see not just photos of massive waves and people right. sort of doing big, big uh, riding shots like you'd expect in a surf magazine, but there'd be pieces about where they were. If they were doing a road trip in, Ireland, you'd have a piece about the road trip, and there might be the waves could have been terrible for the whole trip, and only one to paragraph in there. Right. But you'd you'd get the you'd get the feeling of the of the personality of the writer, and you'd get a feeling of the of being on the trip with them, and so things like that, and then also things like uh, old Bibles and hymn books and things like that that had a very stripped down simplicity. The two columns. Yeah, and the yeah. text at the top, and so it was kind of it's it's Andrew was very good at at sort of choosing things from different places, and I think sort of instead of just relying on magazines as inspiration, he was he was clever in looking sort of slightly wider, slightly wider with with his inspirations. Yeah, um, I think yeah, it definitely stands out. I mean, obviously the covers stand out because they're like amazingly beautiful, but yeah, just just reading through it's like it's so calm and it, it feels a bit like a book and as you said like a bible a little bit it's like classic i think this is going to be like good design in many years to come i think it's like so timeless that's nice to hear that's nice to hear. the thing that that amazes me whenever towards the end of things i don't get involved with the design a, a great deal but occasionally i'll sort of towards the end of things we'll meet up and I'll be shown through how things are looking, and Andrew's forever tweaking boxes, moving rules, and and sliding things around. And I, it amazes, constantly amazes me how much work goes into making not much. Yeah. Look good. <laughs> and it's without without anything to without anything to hide behind, without sort of glitzy type and and sort of dazzling sort of design techniques. Having less in there is almost as is almost harder because 
if you don't get those things exactly right, then it's glaringly obvious. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the standout. Well, I, yeah, I only got it in October, but I think it's definitely one of my favourite magazines from 2013. Oh, that's I think, cool. yeah. I mean, the, the content as well, like... um. There's some pieces here from people like Mark Webber. How on earth did you do that? <laughs> it's, there's, there's, it, there's a lot of... Each person that's in there usually has a strange story behind how they've arrived in there. Uh, Mark Webber's was a... So, so he's a Formula One driver, for those who don't know. Yeah, yeah, Formula, <laughs> Formula One. Uh, is he retired this um, year or is this his last year? I, don't know, I haven't kept up with Formula One recently. Yeah, the last few years kind of passed me by. Yeah, he's he's uh, a Australian right. driver, and, but he <clears> lives <throat> over in the Chilterns. And bizarrely, he was running in the woods and bumped into a friend of mine who was also running in the woods. Okay, uh, they were heading vaguely in the same direction, and so they ran together and started chatting. And he found out that they obviously, I think, my friend had twigged as to who he was. But without his Formula One gear on, I'm not sure I'd have recognised who he was. <laughs> uh, but they, they started chatting about cycling, and I think they cycled a couple of times together as well. And they kept in touch. And my friend said that we knew that Mark Webber was a fan, and my friend said that he could possibly get us in touch with the uh, with the PR for Mark Webber. Okay. And he'd also spoke to Mark Webber, who told his PR not just to filter this one out. <laughs> that's, that's always the key thing is not getting in touch with the person themselves yeah. but getting past the, uh, the people before them, getting yeah. past the people who are paid to stop us getting yeah. paid <laughs> right so yeah it's and so i met him in a uh met him in a cafe in the chilterns and chatted to him and he was absolutely lovely he was such a pleasant guy the only thing that disappointed me from the conversation was I came out of it thinking that I was his new best mate. And then I saw him chatting with other people as we were leaving the cafe and realised that he's just as charming to everyone else. And I thought maybe maybe everyone is his new best mate. Um, have you had any, so this is the only issue I've seen, have you had any other like weird people, not weird people, but you know what I mean, like weird connections like that in there? We've we've managed to get because we try to we try to get uh, people who are not just the names that you would expect. Right. Although we try and get those as well. So, sort of there's a there's a, a split between the magazine's content of the names in inverted commas mm. and the non names who have written the other pieces. So to quickly go with the the names piece, we try to get. Obviously, we tried to get the big names like having Chris Hoy in there, uh, Victoria Pendleton, Bradley Wiggins, Mark Cavendish. Uh, from the those are sort of from the track and the road side, mm. and then from the mountain bike side, we've had people like uh, Tracy Mosley, Greg Minard, John Tomac, who was my all-time <laughs> massive cycle, my massive mountain bike hero from a, a really early age from the. Late eighties. That, that was before my mountain bike days. Yeah, he's, he, he's sort of he was he was the one of the one of the first big names in American mountain biking and was a massive hero for me. And when we managed to get him and another chap called Mike Closer was just, I, I thought this is why you make a magazine is to get people <laughs> yeah. like this. So do you have and a then, big big black book of all these names and like phone numbers and stuff? 
we've kind of we've kind of not gone through our list, but we've ticked off a great deal. And then I think it was issue seven that I managed to chat to a German rider called Jens Voigt, yeah, yeah. who is the who's the cyclist cyclist. Right. He's he's not the guy who wins every stage, no. but he's the guy who will absolutely destroy himself to <laughs> make his team leader get to the get to the sprint at the end or the bottom of the last mountain as fresh as they can. And he's yeah, he's absolutely the guy is an absolute legend yeah. and when i when i phoned him up to speak to him the i think the first five minutes of the interview that i had with him was absolute gibberish of me just <laughs> saying trying trying to keep it together and and trying not to come across as the absolute cycling geek who was in heaven chatting to Jens Voigt. <laughs> um, do you find that because they write these pieces do you find that they might be good on a bike but maybe not so good at writing or is it kind of worked with, out with with some people, with a lot of people, we try to get them to write their own piece. So with pro riders like David Miller and Michael Barry, they're very, very uh, intelligent riders who, well, David Miller sort of wrote a book and, and, is, and is known for being sort of one of the more cerebral cyclists. So you know that with people like that, you'll get something very good. Right. With other people, it's they're more comfortable with me sending questions over to them and then I'll then I'll write up sort of what they've said, okay. chop out the questions and then send it back to them and they can have a look and usually like a teacher marking <laughs> someone's essay, there'll be big sections in the middle where it says how do, usually it's trying to get more emotion from people okay. and saying, How how did you feel about this? What why why did you want this to happen? What did you feel when this happened? And so it's with some people, it's a case of sort of coaxing it out sounds bad, but it's it's trying to get something that that you know when you're talking to them is there to start with, right. and just trying okay. to make it come across on paper. Yeah. Um, so, um, do you ever struggle? I mean, it's so big, but do you ever? I guess you don't. But do you ever struggle like finding people or stories? to put in the magazine or does it just seem like there's so many people out there cycling and doing things, it, interesting things? The hardest part is getting in touch or getting the people who are doing these things in touch with us. Okay. Because I, I long ago realised that there's no way that I could come up with thinking, I wonder if, I, I think it was the second issue of, uh, second issue of the journal, I had. I was thinking. Oh, I want something international. What could be more international than Vietnam? So started googling <laughs> cycling in Vietnam, and then I thought, well, what would be uh, what sort of what are people's associations with Vietnam? Obviously, the Vietnam War being a key one. So typed that in as well, and then by pure internet chance, <laughs> came across a ride that had been organised by American veterans with Vietnamese war veterans okay. going together <laughs> along the main highway through Vietnam as a peaceful promoting thing. <laughs> That's crazy. And then managed to get in touch with a couple of Vietnam vets who had been on this ride and they were willing to write about it. And so <laughs> there you go. So sometimes sometimes you get the, the happiest coincidences with that, but uh, a lot of what we do 
depends on pure good fortune of people getting in touch with us who are either planning strange routes that they're going to do mm. or have got a weird experience or know somebody that's got something bizarre that they think might be appropriate for a good story. Okay. And so as with, as with I think, what's probably the case with most magazines, a lot of it is making your own good luck but taking the good luck when it comes along. Okay. Um, I just want to touch on your covers as well. Um, they've all been by the same illustrator. That, they have. That's right. Was that we just like complete, forever. like lucky chance as well that you did that from the beginning? I don't want to make it sound like we don't plan things, but <laughs> it's completely the case. Yeah. It was with with issue one, we were <clears throat> we had seen an illustration that he had done for a website called the Portsmouth and South Sea Fixed Gear Fight Club, <laughs> okay. which was, because this, this was eight, this was 2008, just as the fixed gear scene right, okay. was, was getting huge. And we were down at our parents' place, which is on the south coast, and we saw this poster. And it had a, a really interesting, not terribly traditional bike illustration. And so Andrew got in touch with them and found the guys who did it who, and the guy who did it worked for a company called I Love Dust, who used to work on the South Coast and then started in London as well. And we got into touch with the guy there, and he said that he would provide some illustrations for us to put inside the magazine. Okay. We, hadn't, we hadn't decided what we were going to do for the cover, right. but Shan was going to send us some pictures, some illustrations that were going to go inside the magazine. And they got sent over, and we just looked at them, and thought the penny kind of rolled around and we thought <laughs> would that would that make a good because they were sort of most of them were landscape as well and we kind of looked at what we were thinking of doing with the paper size and and Andrew suggested that it might make a good might make a good cover so we asked Shan if it was okay to use those as a cover and thankfully the rest is on running history but we are hugely hugely indebted to Shan who now works for Shoto Pop up in London, okay. and we are hugely indebted to his his skill. Yeah, because they are amazing. I mean, yeah, you don't no. see covers like this. <laughs> it's, it's just no. crazy good. Um, and and so and also the other thing that we loved about them is the fact that they're not what you would expect. Despite having bikes in them, yeah. they don't look like a bike magazine. No, and that's that's kind of what we. That's kind of what we the Maybe that could be adopted as, as an ethos for the journal itself, as okay. it's, it doesn't really look like a magazine, but it kind of is. Well, it kind of looks like a bike magazine, but it's a bit more. Um, do you now um, commission the covers, or are you still selecting from once he sent? <laughs> no, <laughs> we, we, put, we used up everything he sent us. We won't go, we won't, you know, we, after all, we only plan to do one issue. Right, so. okay. So the yeah the the original plan was only to do one issue. So we put all of his all of his good illustrations into the first issue, and then it was when we realised there was going to be a second one that we thought, what could we do that's different to the first one? So we thought instead of it being quite an urban one with the fixed gear bikes, we thought it could be a mountain bike scene with countryside and clouds and blue skies, and so we sort of send a very rough idea to Shan 
towards the end of each issue and then sort of wait for wait for a, a, a draft to come back, look at it and think this is looking good already, maybe add a few tweaks, wait for the final one to come back and think, oh my goodness, this is way more than we could have expected. <laughs> it's probably like that every time. I'd yeah, I, yeah. I, do think, I do think that this issue is probably my favourite cover. Mm. And, and, and a couple of other people have said that as well. And so thankfully, as they're all done by him, and I'm sure that they're, as they're all his children, he loves them all the same. But <laughs> I do really like this one. Um, we're kind of, I think, overrunning a little bit. Um, again, before we go, I wanted to talk about um, the rise in UK bike magazines because there seem to be an awful lot right now. Um, one of my favourite magazines is uh, uh, Bone Shaker, which is kind of exactly the same kind of kind of idea, I guess, as the ride stories yeah and um, one, of the, bikes. One, of, one of the chaps from the editor from bone shaker uh, wrote a piece for us just before the just before bone shaker came out oh, okay and, and so it's we've known we've known the guys from the magazine uh for quite quite a while i think well since yeah just before they just before they started and so they're obviously they're based out in bristol yeah bristol. yeah in bristol and so Geographically, we're not that close, but the there's there's sort of quite a few events that they go to. Uh, we pop up at, and <laughs> there's and Andrew's spoken at things that the that the uh, art editor has that the art editor from Bone Shaker has right. spoken at as well. So we we bump into them uh, we bump into them sort of sporadically. I think the word is, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's good to have more magazines out there yeah. it shows it shows that there's a lot of interest in it and they are able to hammer through getting their far better than we are at getting issues out and uh, promoting themselves and yeah so there's there's always a there's sort of always something new coming from them i think mm. and but yeah the the growth in the growth in cycling magazines from all different niches and different wheel sizes and different bike types it's it's a healthy thing there's there's sort of i think i think it'd be a, a fool that thought that that it could be a bad thing um and i haven't lived in the uk for a while so i haven't seen this but um what i've seen online and stuff is that there's a lot of cyclists nowadays um it's like for better and for worse yeah <laughs> that's also what i read online yeah. <laughs> um so do you think i mean it's probably a um a very easy tide to see that like the more cyclists the more magazines will pop up as people kind of discover their new passion or feel that there's a big enough market to produce a new title. Um, yeah. So when you started in 2008, was there, I mean, what was the scene like, like biking and bike magazine? It was, it was certainly on the increase. It was, yeah, it was certainly growing by then. I've been living in London for 50, no, no, since 2000, no, 1995 was when I moved up to London so it'll be 20 years next year. And so I've been commuting in London for, to make me feel very, very old. <laughs> uh, yeah, next, next year, next autumn, I'll have been commuting in London for 20 years. Yeah. And it's a completely, completely different landscape, for better and for worse. It's the, the trouble with the increase in numbers is that it pushes frictions and it also starts 
but it also starts to push for change as well. And so I think that things are very much in need of change. And I think what has happened is the increase in cyclists has happened first and now hopefully the change in infrastructure, change in road planning and also change in a lot of people's attitudes will start to happen mm. because things at the moment are not in a great state with the with the uh, the clashes between different types of, of road user. And I think there needs to be a there needs to be a mental shift of people thinking bikes are a valid form for many reasons for uh, the environment, for speed of people getting about, for uh, the sheer numbers of people on the road. And I think there's there's just a lot of a lot of things need to be seen as more positive to coming from cycling and not just seen as the negative. But I also think that there's a responsibility for cyclists to ride, I don't know, thinking about other cyclists as well as pedestrians and other people like that. I think there's people split into sort of two camps and it doesn't matter what they're driving, whether they're walking, driving taxis, buses, white vans, whatever, or pedestrians or cyclists as well. It's you've got sensible people and you've got idiots. <laughs> and unfortunately, people remember the idiots. And so someone can overtake you in their car, do a superb job, someone else can come past, do a terrible job, and you'll only ever forget the idiot. And unfortunately, the same goes for cyclists. There can be loads of people who are stopped at the red light, uh, waiting for the traffic to clear and things to be right for them to go, and then you'll have someone blast through, just skim a pedestrian as they're going through, and unfortunately, the only person that gets remembered is the idiot that's blown through the red light and just missed the pedestrian and uh do, do you have a favorite bike magazine other than the ride as a passionate cyclist you must have one i have i have magazines that that fill that fill different that fill different things i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to choose just one to just one to be my bike magazine <laughs> there's there's a there's a great uk magazine called single track that yeah. I'm, I'm slightly biased towards because I know most of the people that work there, but they very much came from starting it for the right reasons. Of They looked at mountain biking at the time, saw that there wasn't something doing what they do, and they did it. And so that they, they, fill, that, they fill that hole, and, and they have a, a big, I don't know, I've got a big, a big soft spot for them. But there's also a magazine called bike not the maybe not the most soulfully titled one there's an, an american title and the photography in there is incredibly good and they do a very good soulful tale and then there's magazines uk magazines like ruler who pretty much changed the game for a lot of bike magazines and they showed that they showed that you didn't have to try and please the masses you just had to do what you want to do well, and they've done that superbly well. Yeah, and so it's, they, 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 they made that. Yeah, very much so, very much so. And they were another magazine that, uh, instead of trying to bring something out that fitted in with uh, demographics and numbers and everything like that, and made them another fish in the same pond. 
they just dug their own pond and said, we're the fish in our own pond, <laughs> which, which kind of, we'd, I'd like to think that, that we kind of did as well. Yeah, I think definitely. Well, uh, thank you for um, taking, your, taking time to talk about your beautiful no magazine. No I'm sure. I'm sure that when my brother hears this, he'll tell me all of the uh, <laughs> mistakes and, and, uh, and inaccuracies that I've made with with any of the design things with that. But yeah, from a from an editor from the uh, from the editor's point of view, those are those are what I think are the truths. <laughs> well, maybe in the future I'll get Andrew on and see what he has to say about <laughs> the same topics. There'll be a lot more, lot more talk about fonts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't uh, mention to this before. I completely forgot. But do you have three magazines that you could pick and uh, just like recommend to the listeners off the top of your head? <laughs> head. Uh, Anything you're reading now that is worth sharing? There's Jocks and Nerds. Yeah. Is one is one that that I consistently am amazed by because it's a free magazine that is I think it's UK based. Well, it is UK based. I don't know if you can get it outside the UK because it's just paid for by the advertising, and okay. you can pick it up at a lot of clothes shops yeah. in the in London, Bristol, uh, Scotland. Sort of various various cities have got in sort of cool clothing shops you can pick it up okay. and the uh the magazine is so unlike a free magazine it's 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 never ceases to amaze me there was a pieces in this issue about uh there was a big piece about africa bambata big piece about paris in the 1920s uh and there's all sorts of pieces about clothing designers artists musicians and yeah it's can't speak can't speak highly enough about it. <laughs> okay. And unfortunately, the other magazine or one of the other magazines that I would have chosen is Fire and Knives. Yeah. Which is the which is the food magazine that started about the same time that we started. Yeah, it's another veteran as Elisa, yeah, at least. Yes, and and unfortunately was one of the casualties of of last year mm. with and and is and is no more, but. I think because I've, I've got a soft spot for that for a number of reasons, because A, the, it was run by people who absolutely loved it, and B, the, design, the guy who did all the design for it, a uh, chap called Wob, is amazing at what he does. And the content was so varied and just, yeah, it's, it, was, it was just a, a hugely, hugely interesting magazine on a very, very wide, wide-looking subject of food and trying to think of another magazine would be or something so i should be able to think of something by now i, I look through i get through so many magazines yeah. ah yeah. yes it's uh smith journal smith journal okay good choice which is an australian magazine which <laughs> again is so well written so beautifully designed just you never, you never, for me, it's something that, as, as someone who sort of came to the design side slightly late and only probably knows a quarter of what I should do, I still love what they do with that magazine. And I just, and the content of it is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoy Smith Jen as well. Yeah. I, I, I can't find I, it here, but when I get it, it's a nice relief. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky in that there's a couple of, uh, London-based 
news agents that that now get it in whenever it's out. Mm, so yeah. sort of it's always if if ever I'm walking past, it's worth a detour just to see if there's right. a new one. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just very very good at at uh, and one of those things where I was surprised that there wasn't something doing what they do before yeah. it came out. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, uh, yeah, that sums up uh, this episode. Um, thanks again, Philip, for uh, taking the time and uh, explaining the ride journal to the listeners and me, at least. Um, yeah, no problem. Um, for listeners, um, uh, things we talked about will be on the show notes at magheroes.net. Um, and uh, I'll yeah, see you again soon. Thanks again, Philip. Cheers. Bye.